0: As we enter into your word, I pray that you would just open all of our hearts and open all of our minds. Allow us to hear what it is you have to say to us today. And just, we pray that the name of Jesus would be glorified in every single thing. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Ever aware of, all joking aside, of the snowstorm and all of the things we have going on today, why don't we please stand in honor of God's word? Um, we have. Light snow falling, which is always good. It's Vermont. It is what it is. But we have in Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 1, we're going to read down through verse 16. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This is God's word. You may be seated. This will be the last message um, for the next few weeks that we're gonna be taking a look at in God's story in relation to the fall. We actually have one more message coming out of this. But um, over the course of this week in working on um, different things, I've been led to take a three-week break and just really take a look at vision and mission here at AGCC and what it is we're all about and who we are in relation to um, who we're trying to reach and why we exist. So over the next few weeks, you're going to be hearing a lot about building into the next generation for the future. It's really the goal. It's the the purpose and the mission of the church. But unfortunately for this week, we are going to take a look at once again what is a very, very dark, um, very unsettling and very um, uncomfortable portion of scripture that we look at This morning, and I've titled the message really uh, The Cost of Comparison. The Cost of Comparison, and we'll understand what that looks like as we go forward. Because what I want us primarily to focus on this morning is that understanding who God has made and who we are in Christ is vital for us to have a proper attitude, a proper perspective, and a proper heart toward God and towards our fellow image bearers in this world. All of that we're going to discover today. But before we get into the primary text that I just read for us, I want us to lay some groundwork before we really dig in that I believe is very important for us to really understand and get a hold of as we make an attempt to understand just what happens here between Cain and God the Father. Now Paul, in writing to the church in Corinth, the second letter that he wrote to them, he says this, We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. We are not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you, for we did not get as far as you with the gospel of Christ, neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand." So that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in someone else's territory. But let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved. But the one whom the Lord commends. Now, the context of this passage that we have this morning that Paul um, was writing to the church, he's having to defend himself against the comparison of his ministry against all of these super apostles who were going from church to church and preaching big words and all kinds of stuff and taking money from these churches. And at the same time, they were accusing Paul of being a weak speaker, a poor preacher, a bit of a dote and a fool for not taking the money that was his by right for bringing the gospel to these churches. They would treat him when he would show up as if he had no clue at all as to what it was he was doing and what it was he was saying. In fact, they insulted his preaching as well overall right from the get-go, saying that in his letters that he wrote, he was a real big talker, but in person, he wasn't all that much of a threat, and he wasn't all that impressive at all. Follow us, they would say to the churches. Don't listen to this clown when he shows up. He's not the philosopher, nor is he the preacher that you need here. That's why you pay us and we boast about all the things that we've done when we show up and we boast about all of these things. And he sits here and all he does is preach about Jesus and then he takes off and he leaves and he, he doesn't even take the money that you try to give him that he has a right to have. So the question that we have after saying all of that is why on earth and what, if anything, of any importance today in relation to the brothers Cain and Abel all those years ago does this particular passage in 2 Corinthians have? Well, the real reason is is because understanding our standing before God and the cost of comparing ourselves against anything or anyone in our lives other than Jesus the Messiah breeds contention, it breeds jealousy, it breeds bitterness, and it breeds anger between people. And we see all of that manifesting itself clearly, if not spoken directly directly, in the story of Cain and Abel. In turn, it breeds boastfulness about what we've done so that we find ourselves to be much better than brother so-and-so and and sister so-and-so. It allows our hearts to speak against other people or down to those who we think that we are better than, or even worse than that, wish that we were like, but we simply don't have the abilities or the courage or the gifting to step into those things because we simply aren't called to the things that we might see in other people that we wish we could do or that we wish we could have. So we end up in life with these things. I wish I was like, you fill in the blank. I wish that I had what so-and-so has. You fill in the blank of what that looks like. Or how can they do this or how can they do that and what gives them the right and why can't I have? You fill in the blank on what that looks like. See, that in turn brings half hearted or wrongly motivated things in each of our lives if we aren't careful. It's what happened to Cain. Costly comparisons and wrongly focused desires puts us in this type of position. What's real prevalent today is my kid needs to be in every single sport that I think my kid needs to be in because they are the best after all, it is my child, So we need to start them real young because Johnny next door and his parents take off every Tuesday morning at 4 a.m. to get to that practice that they've paid all that money for. Our boy can't miss out on that because that's what's going on over there. Or little Janie needs the best dress that we can find for her so that she can get invited to all those parties that those kids go to because that's where she needs to be. After all, we don't want her missing out on what it means to be one of the popular kids. I know we chuckle, but at some point or another in our lives, we've probably thought at that level. All of these things, which are at their core, are desiring or coveting things, and it creates an unsettled and discontented heart in the child of God. It creates an unsettled and discontented heart in the child of God, and then it manifests itself in some extremely bad ways. You see, learning to be content in all of the things that God gives us to be content in keeps us from constant comparisons with somebody else. If we are content with that which we have been given. And as strange as that may sound, it also keeps us from giving to God in a grudging way. It keeps us from giving to God in an inappropriate way. Now, we know what Cain does to his brother, and not to sound real cold-hearted here and kind of flippant about the whole deal, but that is not primarily what the writer, what Moses is trying to tell us here in Genesis chapter 4. Everybody knows that Cain killed his brother Abel, but that's not the primary point that we have to take away. You see, the problem that we run into here in Genesis chapter 4 was the offering that was brought and the manner in which it was brought. That's the real issue here. It isn't just that he brought a bad offering, but it is also the how. It's also the why. And we find in verse 3 that Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Now the NIV, which is a thought-for-thought translation, captures it a little bit better than the ESV does when it says this, some of the fruits of the soil. In other words, it's indicating that the offering was not the best of the best that Cain was able to put together, either in fruit or in his heart when he brought this offering before the Lord. That leads to the question that's asked of him in verse 6 in this particular story. The Lord says to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? And this is critical because we discover here that what Cain is doing, now that his half-hearted offering that he's brought before the Lord isn't accepted, he's pitching a temper tantrum and he's pouting. Now, that's not what it says, because that wouldn't be dignified to put in the scriptures. But what he's doing is he's pitching a temper tantrum, and he's pouting. Why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? Now, I'm sure you've probably heard this question asked of you, or perhaps you've even asked it of your kids or your spouse or whoever it is in your life, or you've had it asked of yourself. When you don't get what you want, and you pitch a fit, and all of a sudden you hear this statement, don't you look at me like that. (laughs) Don't do it. I don't like that tone of face that you have right now. Don't look at me like that. We all have that look, every one of us. It's the one of anger. It's the one of disgust because it didn't work the way we wanted things to work. So we find ourselves in that position of pouting and of being very angry. You see, Cain wanted the blessing of Abel at half the cost. And when he didn't get what he wanted, he has a fit. Very unsettling. Half-hearted giving is not God-obedient, joyful giving. Regardless of what we're talking about here, half-hearted giving is not God-obedient, joyful giving. You see, when our hearts are wrong, and we truly believe our stuff is all our stuff, we don't give joyfully to the Lord. We give in a way that's begrudgingly to the Lord. We give only what we have to, the bare minimum, even if we hit that bare minimum, with the mindset of getting something in return maximum return for minimum input guess what happens that makes us bitter it makes us angry because god calls us to bring to him whatever he calls us to bring to him as he did cain and abel that's what he wanted he says bring the first fruits now whatever that first fruit is whatever that first fruit is bring it That's to be used for ministry, it's to be used as an honoring to the Lord, as an offering to the Lord to indicate what our hearts look like and all that entails. That giving reveals what our hearts really are like. Not before our friends and family. You see, this is where the comparison and the whole boasting thing comes about. Whether it's playing guitar on Sunday morning as best as we possibly can or it's shoveling the walkway as best as we possibly can, it reveals to us our hearts before God more so than it does before family and before friends. You see, Paul speaks on this a bit earlier in the same letter in chapter 9, starting in verse 6, when he says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So in other words, don't do this. Okay, what's this guy doing? What's that lady doing? How much work is she doing? Okay, I'm going to give the... That's not what he's saying. Why? Because God is able to make all grace abound to you. To you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So whatever it is you give to the Lord, whatever it is, and don't think it's just money. See, that's the easy out. I wrote a check. Okay. But that's not what it's all about. You see, fall mentality is a very selfish mentality. That's what we're dealing with in Genesis 3 through 11. It makes human beings bitter. makes me bitter. You see, Abel gave to God because he knew everything came from God. He knew who the giver of life was. He knew who the sustainer was. So he didn't hold back. And also... Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. You see, that's the tithe principle here long before the law is ever even given. Is that we have to give to God. We should be joyfully giving to God because he's our creator and he has given us life and breadth and everything and all of our sustenance. That's what Paul tells us in Acts 17. He sustains us. He provides for us. That's what he does. Our faith journey is one where we trust God and we give. Whether it be in something we do, whether it be in what we're gifted in, whether it be a financial thing, whatever it is, we give all that we have to the glory of the Lord. And then we watch how he continues to provide for us, continues to grow us in our faith journey, continues to grow us to maturity within ministry, and all of those things. He's blessed us in this past year at AGCC as well in ways that I can't even begin to understand, and we'll talk about that at our meeting So to hold back speaks to who the Lord is in our hearts. And it also speaks to who the Lord of our hearts is. Say that again. Holding back whatever it is God tells us to give speaks to who the Lord is in our hearts and who the Lord of our hearts really is. And that's a little bit of a conundrum for some of us because I remember early in my Christian walk, I was pretty ticked off with the Lord for not getting something that I felt that I ought to get. Now, you can judge me if you want. It's okay. I'm just trying to be open and transparent before you. But I was pretty ticked. I didn't get what I wanted, so the first thing I did was I held back. Held back in my tithe. It's probably one of the worst decisions that I have ever made in my entire life, without a doubt, okay? Because I was mad to start Things didn't turn out the way I wanted to. So I said, okay, Lord, I'll show you as if I'm going to affect anything at all in the kingdom. And I end up having a worse relationship with him and my finances and family is all mucked up to boot. How's that working for you? It's not. Why? When things aren't as they should be, it was because my heart wasn't right. I was giving with an expectation of something. I was demanding of God something I didn't deserve or something I wasn't ready for. You see, that's precisely what Cain's issue is here. He believes he is the Lord of all his stuff. That's the issue. And God should be happy with whatever it is Cain brings. And that's a problem. He wants maximum blessing for disobedient giving. Now I want you to notice something here. You see, God, as always, and we've learned this, that God is the perfect father... He is always the perfect father. He challenges Cain right where he needs to be challenged. Now take that away today. He will always challenge you right where you need to be challenged. So when you're kicking the dog or you're yelling at your spouse or you're throwing the shovel, remember, he's going to challenge you right where you need to be challenged because he is a loving father. That's exactly how we do things with our children. And what he says to Cain is, look at yourself, not at your brother. Stop this whole comparison game. Don't do it. If you do well, will you not be accepted, the scriptures tell us. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. He didn't look at him and pet him on the head and ask him if he wanted a cookie and give him a trophy. He said, look, you've got a problem here. And this is where I'm going to challenge you because you are my son and I love you and you need to grow. The first part here is what really strikes me. If you do well, will you not be accepted? See, in other words, don't you realize, Cain, don't you realize that your best is all I want? Your best. That's what I want from you. I don't really care what your brother has brought as an offering when it comes to you. It doesn't need to be better than your brother. It doesn't need to be compared to your brother. But you, you alone, uniquely created Cain, I want from you. Give with all your heart and then trust me that I will take care of you. On your own merit, stop looking at what your brother did. You're a gardener. That's what I've created you to be. Be the best gardener you can be. And apparently he was because the Lord wasn't happy with the offering that he brought. You held back the best. You simply brought an offering thinking that was going to be good enough. Not the first fruits of your garden that I caused to grow. Just the simple offering. And what that shows to me, Cain, is your father, is your heart. Shows to me your heart. Now you're all angry. Now you're all jealous because your brother is accepted by me and you aren't. This whole comparison thing brings bitterness and God challenges Cain to see it and get it under control. It's an ugly, ugly part of scripture. Sitting right there at the door of your heart, the Lord says to Cain, waiting to pounce, it desires you. Master it. it. Wasn't like this snuck up on him. It desires you, master it. And here's an insight for each and every one of us to take away today. We have the ability in Christ to master these issues. That's a done deal. We have the ability to master this. The question that we have to ask, that I have to ask myself, that my wife asks me, is do we? Do we master these things or do we let chaos and do we let the bitterness in our hearts rule the day when we are challenged? See, in Christ, we always have the choice to put these things to death. It's the beauty of the cross and the resurrection. In Christ, we have the choice. The whole fall mentality is absolutely ugly if we look at it through our own eyes and say, where am I in this? I don't like this. It unsettled me this week. It is what it is. You see, because, again, this type of mentality breaks the deep communion with God in so many ways, and it fractures community with each other. There's that communion and community piece again. When we have this mentality... We destroy the communion we're supposed to have with God, and it fractures the community with our brothers and sisters, with our family members, and with people around us all together. Why do we still live like this? Why do we do this? Why? I asked myself this question a million times this week, and I still can't come up with a good answer except I'm an idiot. You come up with your own answer. That's mine. Paul writes again, but he writes this time to the church in Colossae. Colossians 3, 5, he says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. It's idolatry. It's Romans 1. It's Colossians 3. It's idolatry. What it says is that God is not on the throne of our hearts. We are. When we act this way, we are kings of our own realm. We want what we want, and we want it our way. And worse yet, we want God to give it to us. Thank you very much. But we don't have to be that way. In fact, we are called not to be that way. That's what the scripture tells us. Paul wrote this because it was obviously a problem, at least in this church. It was obviously a problem that needed to be addressed because Paul continues. He said, on account of these things, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. It's a pleasant verse in scripture. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. But here's the hope. In these, you too once walked. In other words, you don't anymore, or at least you're not supposed to be walking this way when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. In other words, get away from them. Don't do them anymore. This anger, this wrath, this malice, this slander, and this obscene talk from your mouth. I don't want to see a show of hands, but I want you to think for a minute as I'm thinking in my head. How many of us have done this? Why it's awful noisy in here. <laughs> see, what's heartbreaking here is that Cain does not master the challenge that God gives him. That's the heartbreaking piece of the story. God is telling him, begging him, in fact, don't do this. Get a hold of it. Control it. Put it to death. Instead, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. I'm going to have it my way, and I want what I want. And he bothers When we don't put to death what is in our flesh, it will consume us. When we don't get these types of things under control, it consumes us. It isn't what God wants for us, and it separates us from him and from one another, and it kills us. It creates a fracture within community, and in communion, it becomes broken and it stays unhealthy. But it doesn't have to be so. It doesn't have to be so. That's what the scriptures tell us. Then the Lord said to Cain, "Where is your brother?" He said, "I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper?" <laughs> now you're a smart guy. Yeah. Yes, you are. You are your brother's keeper. Just like we are all each other's keepers. I warned you, I told you what you needed to do, and still, you went your own way. It's a heart-wrenching story when we take a look at what's really happened here, and one we see played out many times within the church and within the world today. I mean, let's be real. Anybody who reads the newspaper for five seconds, anybody who just looks within their own personal community, We make these mistakes, I pray not this violently, but we still deal with these things day in and day out. Bitterness, jealousy, envy. Why do you think Washington, D.C. is so incompetent right now? Because they can't even talk to each other. They want what they want, and they're right, and everybody else is wrong. That's why the church needs to be prayerful so that we can get over this type of fallen mentality that says we're going to do it our way And we're going to expect what we want. We can't do that. She's shortchanging God when we don't get our way and wanting perhaps what other churches have or how well they look or how big and glorious their worship team is and how wonderful of a pastor speaker they have, wanting what other people have and thinking that that's going to satisfy our souls at any given point. That's all self-reflective. That's what that is. It's not an upward and outward way of looking. We are all one another's keepers. Each and every one of us, from the littlest among us all the way to the oldest among us. We are all each other's keepers. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, and because of that, we are in a restored community which can and do all of these things we are called to do. We have the ability through the indwelling and the infilling of God's Holy Spirit. It's a done deal. So, I leave you with this as the worship team. If I could have them come up, please. You're going to lead us in one last song. I want to just close this out with an understanding that Jesus redefines for us murder. He redefines for us what murder actually looks like in a very uncomfortable, again, passage. He's drawing, I'm sure, at some level from. This story and from the history of the people of Israel. And he's sharing with them in the Sermon on the Mount something very important to know in chapter 5. He says this, that you have heard that it was said of those of old that you should not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift, now here it is, where does he bring it back? It's the gift on the altar. It's the whole Cain story. It's the gift. What is our heart in relation to giving to God? Whether it be our tithe or a gift or whatever it is, what is our heart? So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift. Leave it. Go back. Reconcile with your brother and then come and offer the gift. Make your heart right. Make your heart right. My heart needs to be right. Your heart needs to be right. You see, in Christ, we have the ability and we are called to live this new creation life in restored community with him and in a healthy and loving community with one another. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to do. Doing otherwise affects our own personal walk and our heart towards God. How many of you, if you are absolutely miserable with a person in your life, have a phenomenal relationship with Jesus? Let me see a show of hands. Okay it's good Cain didn't reconcile he took vengeance it cost him absolutely everything the last thing I want for any of us sitting here today is that we fall the way of Cain I don't think any of us are in danger of making the front page of the Burlington Free Press for killing somebody I don't but I do think that if we are not careful if we don't put to death that which belongs to the flesh, we can fall into that trap that Cain fell into, where we're constantly comparing, or we're constantly wanting something that somebody else has, or where we think we're better than somebody else, or we think we deserve something that somebody else got, and then we fracture our community. It's not what we're called to. We're called to love one another with the passion and the grace of the Lord Jesus. One of the songs that Jake opened up with this morning was that his grace found me. You know what that means? Not that I'm a reformed guy, but you'll have that. That means that I didn't go looking for his grace at all. He poured it out abundantly upon me. How can I hold it back from anybody else? But I do. And that's the challenge that we have. Let's all stand. Father, as we close in this last song. Good, bad, and ugly, your word is beautiful. Good, bad, and ugly, your word is beautiful. Your Holy Spirit has inscripturated every single thing that we need for an abundant life. And that includes stories where we learn that brother... Kills brother but out of that story we learn that we have the ability to not go down that road challenge each and every one of us here today as those who are willing to pray with others would just take their place challenge us all as we head off into this week to be very self-reflective I confess before you, Lord, I learned I learned Wednesday evening, in fact. Like many other times this week, but I just felt very convicted in your spirit. I say this before you. That getting frustrated very quickly with certain things and certain people puts me in a position of being a fool and in wrong relationship with you and in wrong relationship with the people that I get upset with. It's that easy to just simply allow our emotions to take off down those roads. Now, I know it's a radical notion, Lord, before you to think that we can have that kind of self-control over our emotions, but that's what you call us to. And I pray for every person here as we close in this last song that we would be not dismayed by words like this, but we would be encouraged because you are a perfect father who gives us everything we need for salvation, for strength, and for hope, and for the ability to do the things you call us to do. Encourage us each day with these words that you will make us more and more like Jesus. You will conform us to the likeness of your Son. Our duty simply is obedience to you. Give us the strength to be obedient in Jesus' name.